Would you just pray for, for the service here? Sure. Father, we just thank you for today. Thank you for Jason. Lord, I just pray that you would still his heart, still his mind, that you would, you would bring about a peace about him that, um, that communicates your word and your truth and your, your revelation to us. Father, I just thank you for everything that you're doing here at Christ Center. I just pray that this would be a, a supernatural thing that we're about to listen to, that this would be something that edifies Jason, that edifies us, that, that, that gives you so much glory. Father, we thank you for Jesus. Uh, may his name be lifted high. May we glorify him in, in all we do and say. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, man. Well, good morning again. We are, uh, or just started a series last week on Philippians. We're preaching through this book, and uh, I'm just going to dive right in here. We, we gave some backgrounds, but I want to give more background on the city of Philippi. So, um, of course, uh, this, this letter is from Paul to the church in Philippi. Here's a little bit of the ruins. The, the ruins are very much intact. I would love to go there someday. Uh, Philippi is in Greece. Um, and uh, here's a, a great aerial shot. And just because I forgot that I can do this and I never use this, I just love to do that. Ooh, see, isn't that fun? Okay, so here is the, the old city and the ruins here. Uh, and uh, here is the, the amphitheater that was built in the Greek days. And here are some trees and some fields, and there's the sky and some clouds. Very special Philippian clouds right there, which are way different than other clouds. Um, Philippi, see, I shouldn't, okay, here we go. I thought I was going to get stuck on that screen. Philippi was uh, a really, it had this incredible history. First of all, it was established by Philip of Macedon, hence the name Philippi. Philip of Macedon is famous for being an incredible general who conquered the whole region, more famous actually for being Alexander the Great's father. In fact, Alexander was so concerned that his dad was conquering too many lands that as a boy, the story goes, he was sitting by the lake crying one day, worried that his dad wasn't going to leave him any lands to conquer. <laughs> Poor boy. Anyway, this, this place was uh, uh, named for him because he had conquered this village, became a city here, and for the next 300 years, people lived there. They built the amphitheater, a very Greek place, but 300 years later, something even more significant happened. The, the Roman Civil War was happening. So go back to your old high school Shakespeare days, the days of Julius Caesar. He was assassinated, and uh, his, his assassins then were at war with Octavian and Mark Antony. And so there was a civil war that lasted about two years. And finally, uh, they met, those two forces met in Philippi and fought the final battle. And uh, the assassins were, were defeated by Octavian. And Octavian then, uh, uh, since the war was over, he decided, hey, this is a great spot, this is a beautiful place, and because this is so significant, I'm just going to release a whole bunch of my centurions from the army, and they can settle right here. He probably just kicked a bunch of people out of their houses right there, but that was the way of things in the ancient world. They settle right there. And, uh, and then, you know, soon after that, he's named emperor. His name is changed to Caesar Augustus. And uh, he goes back there and declares this place a Roman colony. That means it's more than just a city in the Roman Empire. There's, there's a million of those. This is going to be a special city where this basically is little Rome. So 
they, they had all kinds of rights and benefits. As we mentioned last week, you had Roman citizenship and all that. But there was a psych, there's kind of, you know, when, when you have this kind of important, uh, you know, history and heritage, there's more that happens here. Um, as, as they were named a colony, uh, by the way, this, this is great. Here's what they read, here was the full name. Colonia Augusta Iulia Philippensis. So if you're keeping score there, they got all the names in there. They got Augustus, Julius, Caesar, and Philip. So it's sort of like we live in Junction, Washington, Jefferson, Lincoln City, Oregon. Is that? They got all the heavy hitters in their name. So when you have a name like that and a history like that, there's going to be a mindset that comes along with it. Uh, Augustus went back not only declaring this a colony, but building this up. He built a whole Roman forum there. It was just, it was a really hip place to be. It was very upscale. Um, you wanted to live in Philippi if you could. They had the amphitheater there, uh, the, the Roman games. They would do all the Roman games there. Uh, it was just a really great place to be. Beautiful. Uh, you know, they had, a, they had a Panera Bread right in the entry and, and their Nordstrom right in there. Like, yeah, all, all the upscale, everything. It was, it was, it was pretty cool. I, I, and I think that if you live there with all the history, with all the glories of Rome right there at your disposal, there's sort of a, you know, you, you kind of become one with your history a little bit. I, I, I think of, okay, so like you guys know I'm Texan. I'm, I, was, I was raised in, in East Texas, and even though I, I wasn't in San Antonio, um, I remember the Alamo. You know what I'm saying? I remember the Alamo. All Texans remember the Alamo. And, you know, as if we're, you visit that place and there's something that rises up in you. You're like, yes, I'll stand even though we'll all die. We're not going to cross that line that William Barrett Travis put in the sand. And remember, you know, one of those things. And then you visit there and you're like, yeah, I do remember the Alamo. Well, it's like that. It's sort of like that. You, all of that great history was theirs. And I think this had an effect on them, I, the, the, the people uh, were, were they, they had a sense of nationalistic pride. They loved them some Rome. Uh, they, they had the blessings of Rome. They had citizenship. Um, they, they were used to the good life. Paul, um, Paul established a church there, as we said last week. You can go back and listen to the, the intro sermon. But he established a church there in about 49 AD. So this is roughly 80, 90 years after um, the, it had been named a colony. So Paul had gone there, he established a church, a, a network of home churches, became the first church that we know of in all of Europe. Uh, it was established under really amazing conditions because Paul had been arrested, illegally beaten. He could have died, but there was this amazing earthquake and this supernatural uh, deliverance there. And so the church starts under those conditions. So they kept a really tight relationship, this church in Philippi and Paul. And now, 13 years later, Paul is in prison again. And he's writing to them from prison. Even, and they've been praying for him. This time there's been no earthquake. This time there's been no deliverance. So he's encouraging them, and they're trying to encourage him by sending him supplies. But that, that's where we left off last week. Paul is encouraging them, and he's also trying to prepare them for the possibility that he might not live. So here's what he says. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me, and I do not know which to choose. 
but I am hard-pressed from both directions. Having the desire to depart and be with Christ, for that is very much better. Yet to remain on the flesh is more necessary for your sake. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that your proud confidence in me may abound in Christ Jesus through my coming to you again. What we're endeavoring to do in this series is follow Paul's train of thought. We don't just want to land on a couple of verses and preach on those verses. We really want to be able to follow his thinking and what he's trying to say to them. So all of this time, he's, he's been sort of consoling them. I know I'm not free yet, and I know you're bummed about that because you love me, and I love you too. And I hope I get out, but I might not. But in case I don't, I still want you to be faithful. Okay, that's his flow of thought so far. Here's where he gets right now. Verse 27. Only conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. Now, we can read this with very modern ears, and it might sound a little bit something like this. Well, the gospel is Jesus died so you could go to heaven, and so we conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of that. So, like, worthy of, of heaven. So, I know we can't earn it, really, but act in the way that, so that, like, you know, this is like, well, you're going to heaven, you better act like it. But I don't think that's quite what this means. We're actually going to do a little Greek this morning. Yeah, okay. Here's a great word, okay. <laughs> Polit- oh, man. I, w- I had this perfect. Politiumahe. There's the word. Okay. Can you hear the root there? Politics. Politiumahe. That's the word we give politics here, okay. Uh, to behave as a citizen. Isn't that interesting? So it's not just talking about like moral things we do or whatever. It's specifically talking about like behave as a citizen, which is something that nobody understood better than the Philippians. Next, that other word, worthy. I'm almost tripping over this monitor. Okay, worthy. Axios. What does this mean? It means uh, appropriately or worthily or, or suitably. So what, what this means, I think what he's telling them is to remember that they have an allegiance first. They have a public citizen, uh, their, their public citizenship is supposed to point to something else. So I'll show you the way a couple of uh, scholars have rephrased this. Here's N.T. Wright, probably the world's foremost scholar on the New Testament. He says this, your behavior must match up to the gospel. Isn't that good? It must match up. You're supposed to see a correlation between your behavior and the gospel. Very good. Here is Eugene Peterson from The Message, published by the good folks at Nav Press. Live in such a way that you are a credit to the... Sorry, that's my favorite joke here. No, you guys don't even know what I'm saying. All right. Live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Isn't that good? Live in such a way that you are a credit to the message of Christ. Here's a lesser-known translation, but it's extremely popular. It's the Hague translation. Uh, your actions and attitudes should match your message, so don't you dare get in political flame wars on Facebook. That's all in the Greek. It's very, it's very subtle, it's, but it's in there. Have you seen, you've, you've studied that, I'm sure, Mr. Davis. Yes. Right. See, there's, I think what he's saying is to the Philippians, guys, there's something higher than even your political realm that you see. You might be very proud uh, uh, of your country, and, and that's a beautiful thing. But 
your real country is, is a different place. Your real citizenship is elsewhere. He's about to say this very clearly in the next chapter. But I think he's, what he's saying is that there's something more immediate. You're first and foremost citizens of a different country. You serve a different king. Your attitudes and actions must match that particular message. So, I have a concern. Now, this is not brought on by anything that I've seen recently. I promise no heat-seeking missiles whatsoever here, okay? I just have a concern that in the church today, National politics plays too big a role in our thinking and feeling. I think it takes too much real estate in our minds and our hearts. Now, I don't think that, there, that national politics is unimportant. I really don't. I have very strong opinions on things, and, and I vote, and I discuss those things. So please don't hear me say we should withdraw. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying here's the issue. We get like a vote every two years on a lot of stuff, and then every four years on president. So, and that's one of like, you know, 300 million. So we, our voice into those things is actually quite limited, but it takes up so much space in our emotional lives and in our interaction with other people, and it's unhealthy. Now, this isn't everybody, obviously, but let me tell you, there were times early with me, that if I knew somebody disagreed with me politically, I'd look across the aisle with scorn and ever think about approaching this person as a brother or a sister, maybe in the Lord, or maybe a potential brother and sister of the Lord. I couldn't even do it because I would be thinking, how in the world can you think that way about this particular bill? You guys, that's a problem. That's a problem. You know why? Because first and foremost, my citizenship is with Jesus Christ. But the things we meditate on and the things we allow to stew inside us, what happens is they become more real than the other stuff. And we start thinking, wow, it all hinges on my opinion on this issue right now. And you know what? Very little hinges upon your your opinion on the issues of the day. Very little. But here's what can happen. The news cycle is so overarching and these 24-7 news channels, I... It's like, wow, we're going to bombard you, and here's another, you know, urgent report. You know, the president just tweeted something. Everybody, give your opinions right now. And this is what happens, and it's so much pressure, and you think, like, pick a side. What side are you on? And everyone's like, oh, yeah, yeah, we better do. Yeah, how could you? And you can do this thing. That's fine for other people, but not not for children of Jesus Christ, not for citizens of this kingdom. So, now, this might sound like a personal axe to grind, but what I'm trying to tell you is I think this is what Paul is saying to the Philippians, and I think we need to hear it in such terms, because I'm concerned that if Paul showed up today and checked Facebook, (laughs) and he might, you never know, I think he would be furious with some of what he sees from the church of Jesus Christ. I do. It is right and good for us to have opinions, but first and foremost, we are members of his kingdom, and that means our message, our words, and our actions should derive from that place, because that's our true country, that's our true home. The spirit right now is this intense political spirit where we cannot even, we we can't discuss anything with our opponents. That is the political spirit right now in our country, and I really think we are not supposed to participate in that. 
We can participate in the political process, but not in that spirit. We are of a different place. And I think that's what Paul's trying to tell the Philippians. Let your public behavior come from the kingdom of God, not from the kingdom of Rome. Are you with me? So, he continues. Only conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or remain absent, I will hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and no way alarmed by your opponents, which is a sign of destruction for them, but of salvation for you, and that too from God. I'm just going to read this example that N.T. Wright says because it's, I thought, a brilliant example. Here's, Here's his sort of summation of what he thinks Paul is saying here. Paul's world was familiar with a situation where a great army might be taken over by a new general who would, be a, uh, who would demand different standards of behavior and different practices in warfare. News of this change would take time to work its way through the ranks, and many of the old soldiers would prefer to, be re- to remain loyal to their former general. But those who knew that the new general had indeed taken over would get his way uh, and would get his way in the end they would be in a position of strength the fact that they would hold their nerve believing that the new regime was firmly in place that would itself be a sign to their doubting fellow soldiers that it was actually true so here's what he's saying philippians right now there has been a change the change is there's a new general, okay, or to, to, to take it further with the analogy, there's a new king, there's a different Caesar. People around you don't notice this. You do, and I want you to stay true to his standards, not the standards of the old Caesar. Hang out there, trust, trust him, just stay and be faithful, and I will come and see, and I will see that you'll be faithful. More importantly, he eventually is going to come too. So stand firm. The regime it has changed. That's what he's telling them. And I think that's what he's telling us today too. Stay true. Stay true. There really is a new king. There really is a new general. There really is Jesus on a throne that we don't see, but we will. He continues. Now, now it gets a little harder. You ready? For to you it has been granted for Christ's sake, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, experiencing the same conflict which you saw in me and now here in me. They saw him suffer, they saw him in persecution, and apparently now they are in the same place, the, the church in Philippi. They're there, okay? So now he's, he's, he's speaking to this. Now, we don't know what kind of suffering it was specifically, obviously it was some, some kind of persecution evidently, and I think because these guys were, you know, the upper crust here and probably, you know, not quite as used to this kind of thing as, as maybe churches in other places. So I think they're probably going, oh, what's going on? What's wrong? What's he, we're getting persecuted. What's the matter? Which coincidentally is exactly how we sound today when things come up. Especially we who believe in the goodness of God and believe in the supernatural you know, breaking through in our realm. When, when, we, when we're going through something difficult, sometimes we're like, Lord, what's going on? This must be spiritual warfare. This must be something else. And we're like, ah. And it's like, hold on just a second. Paul, all the way through, and, and all the way through the New Testament, we're told in this life we're going to have troubles. So here he is encouraging him in this. Now, um, come on. 
Uh, earlier this, this year, we, I preached a message on different go-to prayers that we have. For example, in the face of financial worries, we often say things like, Lord, don't let me be poor. You know, when we're sick, Lord, give me health when we're sick of our jobs. Lord, get me out of here. And then when we're being persecuted, Lord, keep me safe. Well, there's other kinds of prayers that we can pray. We don't have to get stuck in one kind of prayer here. Look, when, in financial worries, Lord, give me wisdom. Instead of just, don't let me be poor, give me wisdom. When we're sick, Lord, give me strength to endure this. When we're sick of people, Lord, help me endure this irritating boss. Lord, when we're being persecuted, Lord, give me boldness. And we divided these in two types of prayer, right? You got your prayers for deliverance and your prayers of endurance, Now let me say it again, I said it about a hundred times that first time we preached this, but we need to pray both types of prayers, okay? It is right and good for us to pray for healing, it is also right and good for us to pray for endurance if that healing delays, okay? We need to learn to pray both of those types of prayer, and I think this is what Paul wants from his people here too. It's okay, you can pray for my deliverance, you can pray for your deliverance, but you also need to understand it's okay, it's okay. God is with you in the middle of this and he would also want you to endure, so pray for endurance as well. He comes back here. So let's, let's look at it, we gotta look at th- this, this word granted. This is, this is kinda hard. It's been granted to you to suffer. That word granted means to do something pleasant or agreeable. Yeah, it's, it's like a favor. God has given you a favor here. Hey, God's done a favor. He's done us a favor. He's gifted us with suffering. Yay. Yeah, that's probably the way it felt to them too. But in this situation, he's saying, this is actually a really good thing for you. Now, let's look at what F.F. F. Bruce says, an, another awesome New Testament scholar. It's taken for granted throughout the New Testament and nowhere more so than in Paul's letters that suffering is inevitably incurred by Christian existence in the present world. There was nothing surprising in this. Christ had suffered and his followers, those who were in Christ, could expect nothing else. Paul himself, throughout his career as an apostle, knew what it meant to suffer for Christ's sake and he prepared his converts for similar suffering Indeed, he encouraged them with the assurance that suffering for Christ's sake proved the genuineness of their faith. I know that's hard to swallow. Again, I think it was for the Philippians as well, but there's a truth to this. And and I think you guys know this is true. We just don't know a whole lot about this in the West. But I promise you, our friends in the Eastern Church and in places of, of persecuted church, this is one of the core issues for them, is suffering well for Jesus. And I think that we, I think we need to open ourselves up a little bit more to this. That we don't just try to immediately, like it's, again, it's okay to pray those prayers of deliverance, but that we don't think something's horribly wrong when we're in the midst of hard times. Paul's almost, well, he's not almost done. I'm almost done, but he's getting to the end here, okay? Therefore, if any encouragement, if there's any encouragement of Christ, in Christ, if there's any consolation of love, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, make my joy complete 
by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, I think it's sort of like this, guys. I know you're, you're in a, a, this sort of privileged place in, in your society in Philippi, right? I know that you're there, but I want you to know that our kingdom works differently than the other kingdoms, whereas you try to get your own, in this kingdom, you look to lift other people up. Where normally, in Rome, you want to get to the high places here. He's saying, no, this is different. It's sort of like the old line from Bono had and you too. If you want to kiss the sky, you better learn how to kneel. That is the, 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 that's how the kingdom works. You serve now, everything hinges on this, th- this next verse here. Are you ready? His whole argument thus far, it, all, it, it would all fall apart if not for this. He, he, he locks the whole thing right here. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. What's he saying? He's saying, have Jesus' attitude. Jesus gave up all the rights and privileges of heaven. The Philippians had all kinds of rights and privileges, didn't they? And the thought of having to maybe give up some of these things or deal with the loss of some of those things could have been hard, but look at what Jesus himself gave up. He stepped out of heaven. He put his powers, God powers on the shelf so he could come in the form of a bondservant. That is a much bigger step down. His public behavior was exemplary. The way he handled himself, his, his, his example. You guys, people were drawn to him because of his public behavior, because of the way that he dealt with questions, because of the ways he dealt with skeptics, because of the way he treated everyone who came to him. He endured persecution. Paul's telling the Philippians all of these same things, endure persecution. Jesus was the ultimate in enduring persecution. He was nailed to a tree, and even if he's on the tree, he's forgiving the people who are currently killing him. You can't go any farther than that. And he became the servant of all. It made no sense that the king of the cosmos could be the servant of all. It still is hard for us to wrap our minds around, because we don't operate this way either. And he says, guys, I'm telling you to do this because Jesus himself did this. I'm telling you to do these hard things, to, to let your public behavior be exemplary, to, to suffer well, to serve your brother, all of these things because this is what Jesus did. The kingdom of God is fueled by this thing. It's fueled by humility. It is fueled by humility. And this is a summation of Jesus' own life and ministry. Everywhere he went, He exhibited humility. In all of these areas, he lays himself down when he didn't have to, but he did. And this is all all that Paul's calling the Philippians to, and this is what he's calling us to as well. He's saying, guys, no matter what century you live in, 
no matter how much you're used to, no matter where you are, be willing to lay your life down for those around you. Whether they agree with you or disagree with you, lay your life down the way that Jesus did. Lay your life down. Be humble. Be humble like Jesus because that is the stuff of the kingdom. Our world knows nothing about this. Our political realm is all about power and influence and all of these things. The kingdom of God operates on a different wavelength. It offers, it operates on the wavelength of humility. And this is what Paul is calling us to today. Let's stand. Prayer servant team, you guys come. I'm just gonna pray that all of us can receive more humility. Anybody want that? Anybody need more humility? Okay, because I need more humility. I'm preaching myself here as well, okay? All right, you don't have to keep your hands up, but you can. Lord Jesus, we need more humility. So help us, Lord. I pray that you would help us to, to follow your example. I pray that you would cool our opinions. I pray that, you would, that your spirit would, would rush through our hearts, Lord, when we find it difficult to love our neighbor. I pray that you would help us to humble ourselves and remember that even our opinions are temporal and that we don't have all the solutions. Lord, I pray that when hard times come, that we could remember that the hard times are temporary, that your kingdom goes on and on and on. I pray in all of these times, no matter what it is that we're facing, Lord, that you would help us to lay our hearts down the way Christ did. We thank you, Lord, for the example of your servant, Paul. We thank you, Lord, for the preservation of this beautiful letter. Lord, help us to live this now. We want to be more like Jesus. We thank you, Lord. I pray a blessing on all your saints now. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. You guys, we have prayer servant team available. Be blessed. Have a great week.